0: Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. As a young pastor, I have prayed for years that God would characterize me by wisdom but this year has been a little different for me I've been intentionally pursuing God's wisdom back at the beginning of the year I challenged our church family to read the proverb that corresponds with the day of the month for a month this is how we kicked off the year so for example on the first of the month read Proverbs 1 on the second read Proverbs 2. Well, this experience was so impactful for me personally that I decided I'm gonna keep doing this through the rest of the year. So at the start of every workday, what I do is I read the chapter of Proverbs that corresponds with that day of the month. So today, the day I'm recording this is the ninth. So I read Proverbs nine this morning. And as I've been doing this for about eight to nine months now, I have been confronted with a reality that I find rather convicting. And here are a couple Proverbs to illustrate this. This is Proverbs 16, 2. It says, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Proverbs 17, 3, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Now, These are just two examples of a recurring theme throughout Proverbs and really all of scripture. Our motives matter because for God, our heart is the heart of the matter. Before our actions, God desires our heart. Now, this is a scary reality because we can actually do the right thing, but if we do it with the wrong heart, with impure motives, we'll miss the mark. We'll sin because we've had an impure heart, impure motive. Now, I know many of you. You're good people. And if I don't know you yet, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. You are a good person. So congratulations. Congratulations like you help people in need you serve around the house you work hard at the office you give to the church you give to nonprofits to our community you're good people and if we're gut level honest we do a lot of good with impure motives we love to be liked we serve to be served we give to get but before god desires our actions he wants our heart. God's not just about uh, behavior modification. He wants our hearts to be transformed. So we have to pause and we have to ask ourselves, does God have my heart really? Does God have my heart really? Because when God is first in our heart, it's evidenced by our lives. But we can do a lot of good with impure motives. And we need to see, and we're going to see today, that God needs to be first in our heart first and foremost in fact we're going to look at one of the earliest stories in human history it's the story of cain and abel if you've got a bible i invite you to turn with me and uh, if you need a bible you can follow along on our app we're going to be in genesis 4 and actually the app is a great place to follow along today because we're going to start in genesis 4 but we're actually going to be jumping around a little bit more than we're used to in scripture and all the links to the passages are right there in the app So as we've been doing throughout this Plotline series, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at a story from the Old Testament and learn from that. And then we're gonna be inspired by a story from our church family, because God wants to intersect our story in a way that we wanna share it with others. The story is of Cain and Abel, and it is gonna challenge us because as we'll see, it gets to the heart of the matter. So as we jump in, let's pause now, let's pray and ask for open ears to hear, and minds to understand the heart transformation God wants to do in us. God, we come before you now. We surrender ourselves to you. We ask for ears to hear what your word has to say to us. We ask that you will give us minds to understand. But ultimately, would your Holy Spirit work in our hearts and transform us to be more like you and the people you're calling us to be? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, starting in Genesis 4, 1-5. through It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel in his offering, but on Cain in his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Okay, We got Adam and Eve, the first humans, they have two sons. Cain, the oldest, who was a farmer, and then we have Abel, the youngest, a shepherd. Both Cain and Abel did good. They brought an offering to God. Verse 3 describes Cain's offering. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Now, the word order in the original language, Hebrew, it was, it was written in Hebrew. The word order of that, it basically uh, points to the fact that that Cain like, looked around and he just brought what was readily at hand. It's as if he was like, oh, oh this here, this will do. And he brings that and he offers it to the Lord. Now, we do the same, too, when we're generous with our leftovers. Maybe it's a good month financially for us. We didn't spend everything that that came in, and at the end of the month, we look at our budget, and we're like, oh, wow, we got some money left over. You know what, honey? We should give to the church. We should give to that nonprofit we've been meaning to support. And we presume that God is honored by our afterthought giving. Well, let's look at Cain's or excuse me, Abel's offering. This is in verse 4. And Abel also brought an offering, uh, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. Now, unlike Cain, Abel brought his first, his best. The text says it's fat portions from some of the firstborn. This is actually exactly what God would later command his people, the Israelites, in the law of Moses. Cain and Abel, they both brought an offering to the Lord. Cain brought some things that were just readily available. Abel brought his best, his first. And God wasn't honored by Cain's offering, but he was honored by Abel's. You know, if God just wanted our offerings, our giving, he'd He would have favored both Cain and Abel, but he didn't do that. He favored Abel. Now, this upset Cain, so God counseled him in verses 6 and 7. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God lovingly warned Cain that if he doesn't overcome his sin, his sin will overcome him. The image is of a predator about to pounce on its prey. Now, having heard from God, Cain had a decision to make. And he either can turn from his sin and turn back to God, or he's going to be ruled by his sin. Verse 8 records Cain's decision. Now, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Like a wolf attacks a lone sheep, Cain took the life of Abel. As he stopped Abel's heart, sin took hold of his own heart. And now again, God talks to Cain, but the tone has shifted from counsel to consequence. Verses 9 through 15. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Today you're driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod east of Eden. When God confronted Cain about killing Abel, Cain lied to God. Now, that's never a good idea because God knew what was up with Cain and God knows what's really up with us too. Remember, he weighs our motives. He tests our heart. Now, because God wants more than behavior modification, he actually wants heart transformation. When we find ourselves lying to God, to others, this should be a red flag to us that something is off in our heart now because sin ruled in cain's heart god punished cain he the work that once was easy it was now going to be laborious while cain once was settled now he's going to be a restless wanderer now cain actually presumed that because he killed abel god was going to kill him like an eye for an eye but god's not a god of retaliation god's a god of mercy god says no 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 cain you don't get it I'm not going to kill you, in fact, if anyone kills you, they're going to experience my vengeance because Cain's heart is sinful, his story ends as a tragedy, and our hearts, apart from God, our hearts are sinful, and our story is a tragedy. But our story doesn't have to end that way. we don't have to to die in eternal death. You see we can have a different ending to our story, an alternate ending, and that comes when we live like Abel and not like Cain. Thousands of years later, after Cain and Abel, the author of Hebrews actually holds Abel up as a, an example, a model of faith. Check this out, this is Hebrews 11, verse four. It says, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did, By faith, he was commended as righteous, when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. Three times, in three sentences, it says, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering, was commended as righteous, and still speaks. The difference between Cain and Abel wasn't oldest and youngest, or crops and flocks. The difference was a matter of the heart. Cain's heart was ruled by sin but Abel's heart was characterized by faith. Sin ruled over Cain, but God ruled in Abel's life. Now, one was cursed by God because of that sin. The other other is held up as an, an example. He's in the hall of faith. Like, Abel got it. He was surrendered to God. God was first in his heart. Now, This leaves us with a question. What characterizes your heart? Is it sin or is it God? Is it our selfishness or is it our faith? Like what characterizes your heart? Because what or who rules your heart is the heart of the matter. Proverbs 27, 19 actually kind of brings this all full circle for us, where it says, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Well, God wants our heart before our actions. Our actions actually indicate the condition of our heart. They reflect what's happening inside of us. Sin, or Cain's heart was sinful, so he gave God his leftovers. Abel's heart was characterized by faith, so he chose to give God his best, his, his first. You've probably never given God crops or flocks. I know I haven't. But what we do with our money indicates, it it demonstrates to those around us, and ultimately to God, where our priorities are. Now, there have been times in life where I have been paid, and I've thought, oh, awesome, now I can go buy some Pokemon cards when I was a kid, or a new iPhone as a student, or a new couch as an adult. I mean, isn't being an adult real exciting? There, There have been other times where maybe it's like that month where there's three pay periods, so you get a little extra income, or at the end of the year, you get a bonus. Well, I've had those experiences and the conversation with Amanda sometimes has been, oh, this is great. Like, what are we gonna do? Are we gonna save for for retirement? Are we gonna save for our emergency savings? Should we contribute to our kids' college savings? Now, there's nothing wrong with spending or with saving, but when spending or saving precedes giving, it often indicates what's first in our heart and that could be a bunch of different things it could be comfort status security pleasure family a bunch of different things and Jesus posed a challenge to us all when he said this for where your treasure is there your heart will be also for where your treasure is there your heart will be also and what Jesus went on to teach here and elsewhere was that god doesn't need our money but he wants our heart and we can demonstrate he has our heart by the way we manage and give the money that we have under our our watch uh, the money that we steward that we manage well at this point i gotta pause and i gotta actually speak to a couple different groups of people because there are some of us who are watching or listening to this and we don't follow jesus We might think he's a good teacher but we don't follow him which means god's not first in your heart and if that's the case you kind of have a choice to make you can keep doing what you're doing you can keep living your life whatever is ruling in your heart can keep ruling in your heart and and you can spend money you can save money you can do whatever you want because well god's not first in your heart but know that if if you don't have a relationship with god now that means you don't get a relationship with him forever and Heaven's a whole lot better than hell. But your story doesn't have to be a tragedy. It can be a really good story because you have the opportunity, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, you still have the opportunity right now to turn from your sin, to repent and follow Jesus. In which case, Jesus becomes the Lord of your life. He's on the throne of your heart. He's, He's the first. He's the best. He's what you pursue now there's a bunch of us who are watching this and we have done that like we've surrendered our lives to jesus we've said we follow him which means that god is first in our heart now if that's the case the bottom line for us is that when god is first in our heart he should be first in our giving when god is first in our heart he is first in our giving giving is one of the ways that we outpour. It's like the overflow of our relationship with God. It's one of the ways that we get to worship God. Now, when God's first in our heart, how does this actually show up in our giving? Well, Paul explained what that looks like in a letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth. This is 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. It says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to god because of the service by which you've proved yourselves others will praise god for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else and in their prayers for you their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace god has given you thanks be to god for this indescribable gift. Now, this passage portrays a God-honoring giver as one who gives to God first, gives to God gratefully, and gives to God to advance the gospel. For as long as I've known them, Blake and Marcy, I've actually known them for over a decade now, though much better in the last couple of years, they are incredibly generous people. So, Knowing that I was going to share this message, I asked Blake if he would be willing to share his journey, his story of generosity and why they are so generous. The video is a little bit longer, but man, it's encouraging. So check this out.
1: Hey, Connect Church. I'm Blake, if you don't know, and I've been blessed to be married to Marcy for 30 years. And we're thankful to serve at Connect Church with our kids and our grandkids. It's a true gift from God to get to be involved in community together with our family. The word that comes to mind, I guess, is gratitude. Um, It goes back to October 24th, 1985 in a conference room (laughs) in a bank in Mays, Kansas. I was a junior in high school. Uh, Some buddies on the football team invited me to come to a youth meeting. I didn't really know what it was. I soon found out it was a Bible study and that night I gave my life to Christ. I submitted to God. I surrendered to Jesus. Well within weeks of becoming a Christian I I felt relief. I mean I literally felt like the weight of sin was lifted off my shoulders. I got involved in a youth group, I was baptized, I, I bought a Bible, I started to study it uh, with my youth pastor, my friends, we memorized scripture together. And I can remember this weird feeling, and the feeling was, I wanted to pay God back for what he had done for me, for sending his son Jesus to die in my place. I mean, I knew that I couldn't pay God back, I mean, you, can't, <laughs> you know, you can't pay God back. I knew, and I knew that God wasn't asking me to pay him back. And I had been learning from Scripture that salvation is a free gift, but I felt such gratitude, such thankfulness, you know, to God. Because we were memorizing Scripture, I memorized 1 John chapter 4 verse 9, you you know, that says that we only love God because He first loved us. Uh, So the truth is that any generosity in my life is only a response to the generosity that, you know, that I received first from God. God saved me from hell. So, you know, my thought was, how can I not give back to God? So, my salvation and my relationship with God, it all starts with uh, with what Jesus did for me, and that is what wants, makes me want to be a generous person, I guess. Well, over the years, we've... I think learned a lot about giving. Uh, and as Marcy and I have made giving a foundation in our personal relationship with God, it's also become a foundation in our marriage. And you know that verse, uh, 1 John chapter 4, could also apply to giving as well. You know, the teaching of the Bible is that everything starts with God. Salvation starts with God. Everything starts with God. And so does generosity. Um, you could think about, you know, John 3:16. It says that God so loved the world that he gave. That's who God is. He's a giver. And uh, I guess we're learning over our 30 years of marriage that we can't outgive God. I mean, when you have a good father, you want to be like him, right? I guess I think about the other day, Marcy and I were over at Emmy and Tyler's house and we were watching Caden Mason. We're giving them bath, we're getting them ready for bed. And I go in and I get their jammies, I lay the jammies out on the bed. And I soon realized that Cade no longer wears jammies, that he only wears underwear and no shirt, because that's what his dad does. You know, we laughed about it, um, but I was the same way as a kid. I wanted to be like my dad. Um, and, And frankly, I was blessed to have a very generous earthly father. My dad's 81 years old and my dad is still a giver. He sends notes and cards, he gives up his time, he serves, he gives up his resources. I've learned a lot about generosity from my own dad, but we've learned even more about generosity, I guess, of course, from God, right? Marcy and I are continually amazed at God's generosity to us. You know, The verse that's really stuck with us over this last five, maybe even 10 years of our life is John chapter 1, verse 16, that says that we've all received grace on top of grace, or another version says, we've received grace in place of grace already given. I guess that's what I've learned is that God is the most generous of all. You know, God just keeps giving and giving and giving. And we're not there yet, but we just want to be more like that. How do I give generously? How do we give generously? Um, Well, it's hard to answer, I guess, But and talking about it feels a little awkward, but for many years we've been blessed to be a part uh, of the opportunity to give at the local church. Um, Some of you know we pastored a church uh, for many years. We gave financially, we served, um, and we have always received far more back than we have ever given. We believe in the local church and we've seen, you know, communities of Christian people become the greatest catalyst for advancing the gospel. Um, And seeing spiritually disconnected people become followers of Jesus. It's the church that promotes the life and the salvation of Jesus. And Marcy and I feel called by God, um, additionally, to care about the poor. We just have felt impressed over our lives um, to really care about the poor. And we've given, been given this opportunity to serve some friends of ours in the country of Haiti. And we have this little ministry uh, in Haiti, or to Haiti, that we call Hope Rising Haiti. And it's just simply that we take our friends from here to meet our friends down there. Um, you know, our Haitian friends, they're courageous, they're strong. Um, many of them are deceived through the false teaching of voodoo. Um, their need, their physical need, it's critical. Uh, the Haitian churches that we're involved with um, have big hearts and strong faith. It's an incredible honor to serve in Haiti. It's heartbreaking. It's inspiring all at the same time. And we feel blessed. You know, that, those words from John chapter 1, verse 16, grace on top of grace, that we get to play maybe a very small part of what God's doing in Haiti and serving the poor. And uh, we're just very grateful.
0: Like Blake, when God is first in our heart, He should be first in our giving. For Amanda and I, what this looks like is we give the first X percent of our income back to God through Connect Church, because we long to see those who are far from God enjoy a relationship with God through Jesus. And we believe that the local church is God's plan to point people to Jesus. So maybe you, you feel prompted and you want to give to be a part of that, seeing the disconnected connect with God and his community. And you can, of course, give, you can be a part of this ministry, but you know what I really want to challenge all of us to do today? Because this isn't about Connect Church today. This is about our heart. This is about putting our money where our mouth is. Here's the challenge for us. Whatever you normally give, whether it's nothing or something or you give regularly, whatever it is, let's give above and beyond today. If, if we claim to follow Jesus, let's demonstrate that by the way that we give generously, the way we give sacrificially. And here's how we're going to do that. Blake mentioned in his video that he's a part of a ministry called Hope Rising Haiti. They're doing a ton of really good kingdom work in Haiti. And it's a country that is going through just the ringer right now. They have had a hard go of it. And I was grabbing lunch with Blake a couple weeks ago, and he was telling me how they've built these wells at churches. And actually, through a series of events, seven of the wells at seven different churches are currently broken. They aren't working. Now, every morning I wake up and I just turn on the the shower. I enjoy a hot shower. And not once have I thought, is the water going to run out? Or I go down to the kitchen, I grab a glass, I I turn on the faucet and I just fill it up and I enjoy a cold, refreshing glass of water. Uh, Never have I thought, am I gonna get sick from drinking this? What's normal for us is a dream for others. Now, we know that water is essential for physical life. We also know that Jesus is essential for spiritual life. He even referred to himself as living water. When when these wells, these seven wells, when they're working again, what's going to happen is the community around them, everyone, is going to flock to the wells because they need water to survive, to live another day. People will even visit these wells multiple times a day. Now, when they are spiritually thirsty, they don't need to search Google for churches near me because they visit the church near them every single day. To fix a well, it costs anywhere between $800 and $1,500. How many of these seven wells do you think God could fix through us if we gave sacrificially? Three? Five? All seven? Let's see what God wants to do through us when we demonstrate that He's first in our life by giving sacrificially. Amanda and I are excited to do this, and we hope that you'll join us. So, whether it's today or whether it's sometime in the next two weeks, you can join us in seeing God's kingdom work advance in Haiti, and people experience clean drinking water, but hopefully, prayerfully, ultimately, they will experience living water, life with Jesus. And If you want to be a part, you can find out more about Hope Rising Haiti as well as give by selecting the Hope Rising Haiti Fund on the giving page in our app. and two weeks from now, on September 26th, we are going to celebrate what God does through us, his people, as we demonstrate that he is first in our lives by giving sacrificially. You know, anytime money comes up in the church, we kind of squirm, we get uncomfortable. Uh, Sometimes the preacher like myself is uncomfortable. Sometimes you're uncomfortable watching, listening, because we've seen money mismanaged. We've seen Uh, the church even talk about money in a manipulative way and i just want you to know that is not the heart today that is not our goal this is not about connect church this is about us putting our money where our mouth is for those of us who claim god is first in our life we have an opportunity to demonstrate that collectively as a church and we get to see his kingdom work accomplished in haiti so i hope you're a part let me pray for us god you are so good Thank you for first giving to us, as Blake so eloquently shared. And thank you that you invite us to give back to you as a way that we worship you, as a way that, that we demonstrate uh, the Lordship that you have in our life. If there are people who want to surrender to you, Jesus, would, would they do that? Would they receive the forgiveness that you offer? And would they follow you all the days of their life? and for those of us who do follow you would you speak to us specifically about how you would have us give and we ask this all in your mighty and matchless name